Today's case takes us to Chowchilla, California. As of a census in 1980, the town consisted of around 5,000 people. The first post office of Chowchilla was opened in 1912, and the town was developed 11 years later in 1923. Most small towns really have nothing that stands out about them, maybe some celebrations or parades. Small towns never really mean much to people outside of them, but for the people in them, they know the feeling of community and care that comes with it. Sometimes things happen even in small towns, things that no one expects could ever happen in such a small place, but every once in a while the unthinkable happens, and their town becomes the one exception. I am your host, Brett Benda, and today we will be diving into a case that literally sounds like something out of a movie, something no one at a young age should ever go through. Two people in this case today will show you an absolutely unbelievable case of heroism and bravery. Episode 3, guys. Finally, episode 3. I am so happy to be here with you today. Um, today we'll be drinking a can of Coors Light, nothing special, but figured we'd uh, get into it. So, as the Scareholics we are, if you are at home, grab yourself a drink. If you're not old enough to drink, grab a cold soda for me. So relax and stay as long as you want because we're open all night. Thank you, and please drink responsibly. Frank Edward Ray was born on February 26, 1921, in Legrand, California, to his parents, Frank Sr. and Marie Ray. The family relocated to Chowchilla when Frank was very young, later gaining the nickname Ed around the community. In 1940, Ed graduated high school, and as some peers stayed, some left Chowchilla, Ed decided he was very comfortable there. Chowchilla was home to him. Ed not long after purchased a farm near the town and spent his time growing corn and raising cattle. Over time, Ed decided to switch career paths, though. He wanted to give back to the community that he cared about so much. And in the 1950s, Ed became a bus driver, waking up early in the morning to pick up the bright young minds of Chowchilla and then taking them all home at the end of the day when school was finally over. The kids that rode Ed's bus loved him, ranging from 5 to 14 years old. They were always excited to see Ed in his bright yellow bus. Ed drove the bus for many years at this point and never had any issues doing it. The Dairyland Elementary School had a summer program that let students learn in the morning and have fun in the afternoon. This helped the students easily transition back into their normal routine in the fall. The kids enjoyed it and the community approved of this as well. July 15th, 1976. It was a normal day in Chowchilla. The sun was out. Kids were at the local swimming pool. Uh, people were out mowing their lawns. Life was alright in Chowchilla. But unfortunately, this day would be forever known for the absolute nightmare that followed. Not only for the community of Chowchilla, but for everyone across the United States. 
It was the second to last day of summer school, and Ed was taking the busload of kids home for the evening as he always did. On Ed's route, he saw a single white van parked in the middle of the road, and as he pulled closer he noticed another parked nearby. Ed thought the van must have broken down or something, and being the caring, helpful man he was, Ed stopped beside the van looking for its owner, and before he knew it, three men had climbed out of the van and were now aboard the bus. All three men wore pantyhose over their faces and carried sawed-off shotguns. The three perpetrators made Ed move to the back of the bus. Ed did his best to keep the children quiet and safe, not actually knowing what would happen to them. The bus's wheels started moving again, with one of the men now driving while another pointed his gun at Ed and the children. Ed kept telling the kids to just be quiet, sit down, and do what they say. Ed was speaking in a very harsh tone, which wasn't normal for him at all. Unfortunately though, many children were not aware of the severity of what was going on. Five-year-old Monica Artery, who was the youngest of everyone aboard the bus, asked the gunman if he was the Easter Bunny because the pantyhose legs were dangling from his head resembling rabbit ears. This really makes me sad for those children. Such an innocent and also curious question you could only get from a child that really doesn't understand the severity of what is truly going on. Coming up with the one thing her young mind could understand, I can't even describe the feeling that gives me. After Ed heard this, this is when he knew what was truly going on was more sensitive and dangerous than he thought, with children, some not even old enough to understand the reality of what was happening. The bus, after some time, had arrived at a bamboo field, some of it being taller than the bus. The gunmen had stopped the bus and were now moving the children from the back of the bus into the back of the two vans, one green and one white making them jump from one to the other, therefore not leaving behind footprints in the soil. The vans were lined with wood and the windows were painted over. The kids were overpacked into the vans with the doors finally slamming right in front of them, putting these poor children into nothing but pitch darkness and Ed not knowing the fate waiting for them. Larry Park, one of the survivors of this case, stated in an interview, quote, as a six-year-old, the only way that I can describe this darkness is that it was trying to get me. Ed and the children aboard the two vans went through a type of hell no one should ever have to go through, not knowing how long they would be jerked around in the back of this pitch black van with no food and no water. These poor children had nowhere to go to the bathroom and some of the children suffered from motion sickness. An absolutely traumatizing experience. Ed did his best to comfort the children. He sang Boogie Nights, Love Will Keep Us Together, and heartbreakingly, their own version of If You're Happy and You Know It, Clap Your Hands, to If You're Sad and You Know It, Clap Your Hands. After 11 long hours, it was now around 3 in the morning. The doors of the van opened, and the masked men pulled the horrified and delirious children out of the van, one by one. As each child exited the van, the kidnappers made them state their name and their address, and also hand over a single piece of clothing. Michael Marshall, who was only 14, was still in the other van with some of the youngest children. One by one, the children were taken from the van. Michael wasn't sure what was happening to them. He had found himself left with the youngest of the group, five-year-old Monica. Michael made the hardest decision to go ahead of her. Discovering a hole in the ground where the kidnappers made him climb 
down a ladder into. I have an audio clip from a 48 hours documentary of Michael talking about the situation. I think truly hearing him discuss this is more important. I just remember the kids got a hold of me and were holding on to me and just scared out of their, you know, we're all just scared out of our wits. It was just me and her. I had to take her hands from mine and rip and tear them apart, say, be okay and go with them and leave her. That was hard. As soon as I got on that ladder and took a step down and I heard the rest of the kids say, it's Mike, it's my Pete, Michael. And, and I realized that everybody was alive. Below the ground was an old moving van littered with dirty mattresses, holes in the wheel wells for makeshift toilets, water, cereal, peanut butter, and bread. Only enough for one meal each. As Ed took note of his surrounding, not long after, the doorway on top of the van slammed closed. Following this, the sound of dirt could be heard filling the hole they had all entered. The children were absolutely terrified by this, and rightfully so. The kids began to scream and cry. Ed gave it his all to keep the children content, even though Ed's own fears were fighting his ability to stay calm. Ed found himself crying along with the children, not knowing how much longer they would be alive. He was unsure how long the walls of the moving van would hold due to the weight of the dirt surrounding them. Ed was now conflicted by the hardest challenge of his entire life. He looked around at all the children who were scared and wanted to just go home. Ed knew deep down he would do anything in his power to get these children home safe as he normally did. Michael, the oldest of the children, stood up and stated he wasn't going to die without Lise trying to get out. A spark ignited in Ed. He stood with Michael. He and some of the older boys came up with a plan. The group looked at their situation and noted the excessive amount of mattresses lying around. They ended up stacking the mattresses one by one to reach the top of the van. The boys climbed the mattresses and used pieces of wood from the old bed frames to dislodge the metal plate covering their exit. The group used all of their strength to try and open the metal door, not knowing placed above it were two tractor batteries, placed there by the kidnappers to potentially halt their escape. The group struggled with the door. The ventilation that fed fresh air into the van had stopped working, and the boys were now suffering from heat exhaustion. They had not eaten anything in roughly a day. The children poured water on Ed and the boys to try to cool them off and help them continue, and the group was losing hope for their escape. Shortly after their attempt, the roof of the van started collapsing into itself, slowly making their prison cell smaller. As terrified as everyone became, in a final effort to break free, one final push against the plate covering them from the surface, it had finally opened. Dirt fell from the opening, and they had finally gained the hope they needed to get out. Michael climbed up and banged against a box that was covering the hole, eventually breaking it out and then clearing the dirt in the way to their freedom. Ed lifted the children one by one to the surface, where he had finally gotten the children to safety. I have another audio clip for all of you from three survivors of this of what it was like to finally escape from Larry Park, Michael Marshall, and Jennifer Brown Hyde. Then suddenly, this ray of sunlight 
its ray of sunlight came down into the opening. It was catching the dust. And the dust particles looked like a bunch of shooting stars. There was this airflow that came out of the van. And I knew we were free. I need a minute. The air and the light that was beaming coming through. Mike Marshall actually, brave person that he is, crawled out of the hole first. And I stuck my head out and there was nobody, I didn't see anybody. And I could see we were in the hills, we were in big trees. It looked totally like a sand dune. There was no way to know that there was anything below. There was no way to know that we were in there. It was totally camouflaged. The children, 16 hours after being buried alive, were now free, above the dirt that almost consumed them. Ed noticed they were located at a quarry located near Shadow Cliffs East Bay Regional Park. They could hear machinery running, not knowing if it was the men who kidnapped them. Anyways, Ed and the group approached the workers. The workers were very confused and asked, Who are you? And Ed said to the men, We're from Chowchilla, and we're lost. The kidnappers buried the group near a rock quarry in Livermore, California, 100 miles away from Chowchilla. When police finally arrived on scene and took photos of the children for evidence, they were at shock at what Ed had told them. The police took the kids to the closest place to hold them, the Santa Rita Rehabilitation Center. Fear set in with the children once more. The children on the bus noticed the barbed wire fences around the jail and didn't understand why they were going to jail. But on arrival, the kids were given clean clothing, the baggy clothing that was intended for adults. Uh, so there were a lot of kids uh, in these shirts with the sleeves rolled up in a room that somewhat resembled a classroom. The staff brought the children apples and soda, and the kids were happy at this point. And interview from Jennifer Brownhide, uh, she stated in an interview that some of the kids didn't roll up the sleeves and were flapping their arms around saying, hey, we can fly. Ed and the children were examined by doctors and then interviewed by police, but unfortunately they didn't have hardly any information about the kidnappers. And after four hours, they were all finally going home. They put us on a Greyhound, escorted us back to Chowchilla. It was time for mom and dad. I just wanted my mom and dad. The scene was like a mob scene. News cameras and TV lights. This man carried me off the bus and he put me in my mom's arms. And I said, hi mom, and fell asleep on her shoulder. I felt, I felt like I was finally safe. Officers located the buried moving van and were horrified at the site, but were relieved knowing the group had escaped. Investigators started looking into who could have been behind this disgusting act. This didn't take long at all though. One does not bury a whole moving van in a private area without leaving behind a trail. Investigators located the quarry owner's son, 24-year-old Frederick Newhall Woods IV. 
He had access to the quarry over the summer, and investigators knew they were searching for three individuals, and shortly after this found brothers James and Richard Schoenfeld. It didn't take the investigators long to find the plans of the kidnapping. They found the empty bus and also discovered the tracks leaving the scene. The three men all came from very wealthy families, but had fallen into a hefty amount of debt and needed money. They advised a plan to hold the children hostage for ransom of $5 million. And as of today, this equals over $23 million. James stated, We needed multiple victims to get multiple millions, and we picked children because children are precious. The state would be willing to pay ransom for them, and they don't fight back. They're vulnerable. They will mind. Absolutely fucking disgusting people we are dealing with here. The three were inspired by the story The Day the Children Vanished by Hugh Pentecost and Daring Detectives by Alfred Hitchcock. The men attempted to call the police to demand the ransom, but couldn't due to the large amounts of phone calls from worried parents and news companies, all looking for any information. The kidnappers decided to wait a day to call in and went to sleep. Somehow these fuckers went to sleep after pulling this shit. I, I don't think any of us can understand how you sleep after this. Anyway, the kidnappers awoke and to their horror saw that Ed and the children were not where they had trapped them. I can't even imagine the shit in these dumbasses pants after seeing this. A very well-deserved shit if I say so. Great plan, you absolute morons. You failed miserably. The three went to trial and pled guilty to ransom and robbery, and all were sentenced to life in prison. And if you're not already pissed off, let me make it worse. Life in prison with the possibility of parole. In 2012, Richard Schoenfeld was released from prison. Three years later, in 2015, his brother James was paroled. The absolute big-brained mastermind behind this well-executed plan, also if you cannot tell already, I'm being very sarcastic, just to clear that. Frederick Woods has been denied parole many times over the years, including the most recent attempt in the fall of 2019. Let's just hope for our sake he stays there the rest of his life kids long into their adulthoods many suffer from anxiety panic attacks and awful nightmares my heart goes out to all of them no kid goes through trauma like this without it affecting their lives and i really do wish the best for all of them and i hope they all found forms of therapy that help them ed ray received the california school employees association citation for outstanding community service ed's courage and bravery did not go anywhere near unnoticed August 22nd, 1976, roughly a month after the incident, the community and children came together to celebrate their hero, Ed Ray. The group took a photo together that day and had fun. Ed and his kids proved that anything could be accomplished with even a little bit of hope. Sadly, at the age of 91, our hero, Edward Ray, passed away Thursday, May 17th, 2012. January 7, 2015, the Chowchilla City Council voted to rename the park, home to many youth sport leagues and activities. 
The city officials' dedication took place on February 26th, and the community flooded the park, along with members of Ed Ray's family, and they unveiled a sign now recognizing the location as Edward Ray Park. Building all lined with wire, big old mesh wire. And they stood on the outside, we hear them cutting the wires, and ceiling started to cave in and everything else. Thought we were going to have it right then, but kept begging to let us out. So later in the afternoon there, we never did hear them cutting the wires or no more. So me and a couple of boys decided we'd better start digging. We was going to lose our lives there, same as getting if we dug ourselves out. Of course, that bus driver is who brings us here today to this park. That bus driver, Mr. Edward Gray, became a hero not just here in our local communities of Chowchilla and Dairyland, but across the nation. But contrary to his nature, he did not act the hero and was embarrassed by the attention foisted upon him. Edward Ray, or just Edward as the kids knew him, not Mr. Ray, never, was a private, simple, hardworking man. He got caught up in a bad situation that July summer day and did his best to take care of the kids in his charge. That's just what he did, but he was still a hero read a letter to you, Jennifer Brown, who today is known as Jennifer Brown Hyde. And Jennifer's letter is, um, look in the dictionary and you'll find the definition of a hero. A person who in the opinion of others has heroic qualities or has performed a heroic act and is regarded as a model, a man of distinguished courage or ability, admired for his brave deeds and noble qualities. Our local definition of a hero is one single word, Edward. Some may call him Mr. Ray or Ed. Others may call him husband, dad, or grandpa. To his beloved 26, we just call him Edward, our beloved Edward, our hero. Today, as mayor, I am issuing a proclamation that designates the month of end day of February 26, beginning 2015, and for every year thereafter, as Edward Ray Day in Chachala. Hey. We hope that when February 26 comes around each year, you stop for a moment and remember the strength of heroism that was Edward Ray. This proclamation is hereby presented to the community and to the Ray family this 26th of February, 2015. Now, Odessa, you have to share that. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mayor. It's now time for the unveiling of the Edward Ray Park sign. So we have family members here, we have council members here, and what I'd like to have is those of the family who want to come to the back of the sign here, grab the back of the cloth, hold on to it. Whoever's going to do it, come on up. Just grab the back of it and lift it up. Yep, go ahead and drop it down in front of you. And know that there are two kinds of heroes who shine in the face of great adversity, who perform an amazing feat in a difficult situation, and heroes who live among us, who do their work unceremoniously, unnoticed by many of us, 
but who make a difference in the lives of others. Edward Ray was both of those heroes. Thank you. not often we hear about heroes like Ed. So as a challenge for everyone listening, I want you to go out of your way to spread kindness, uh, be brave for those who can't, and always be hopeful because as dark as things can seem, there's always going to be that light that you're searching for. Once again, big thank you for listening. I wish the best for everyone involved, and I think the story of Ed Ray cannot be forgotten. This one's for you, Ed. If you know of any information I didn't add, or if there are any corrections you'd like to make, you can email me at scareholicspodcast at gmail.com. And I will also be posting photos from this case, so don't miss them. They're going to be on Instagram, at scareholics. And while you're there, give me a follow. This way you can uh, see the next time I post an episode. If you enjoyed, rate Scareholics 5 stars on Apple Podcasts, or give Scareholics a follow on Spotify. Thank you all once again. My name is Brett Benda, and your seat will be waiting for you in the next episode.